0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Good morning. Uh, I think I'm going to start by just introducing myself a little bit. Some of you may not know my name. My name is Don Lehman, and my wife Vicki is back here. She's holding a little, our Sunday foster baby. We uh, get to have our baby fixed on Sundays. When my wife and I moved here about two and a half years ago with my two daughters, uh, we intended to check out all the international churches, and uh, we uh, came to CCF the first Sunday, and we just never left. Um, I'm not sure what that means, but we really appreciate it here. But, you know, it didn't take us long to get very confused, and that is that we recognized a few people, but it just seemed like this continuous stream of new people coming through here. And it's like every time we thought we kind of knew who was here, it would change. And uh, we'd meet people out somewhere, and uh, they said, oh, yeah, we go to CCF. And you go, you do? We've never seen you before. And it took us a long time to realize we weren't confused. It's a reality. Faces change a lot here. And I think it simply means that we have to work harder at getting acquainted with one another, learn to know one another so we can... um, Support each other in our walk with the Lord. I want to share this morning from a passage that I think many of us never want to read. And um, at least I don't. But God led me to this passage a number of, actually a couple of years ago, and just has kept bringing it back to my mind. And it really has some very important things to, uh, to say to us, and that I want to share from my heart those things this morning. Now, I realize that many of you have uh, spent many years in ministry, uh, maybe working cross culturally for a lot of that time, working focused on spreading the gospel of our Lord. And that probably means I'm speaking to the choir just a little bit. And yet, how many of you ever feel like quitting? How many of you, okay, some of you are honest, um, how many of you ever kind of uh, hear something back home and and it's like, oh, I kind of wish I could have been there for that. Um, somebody might, there might have been a wedding or or a reunion or just some special event, and you're all the way over in Thailand or some other place, and you think, oh, the money, just time, I don't really get to go back, and you kind of, it kind of grinds at you a little bit, and you wonder why in the world am I doing this? Ever been there? How many of you ever go back home and? Um, You, you, wherever home may be, and you see your friends kind of um, living their lives, and they're kind of uh, accumulating things, and and you see their new uh, remodeling job, and it's like, boy, if they would just spend a fraction of that supporting me. Um, (laughs) I'm sure I'm the only one that has those kind of feelings. You've been there? Now, I realize for some of you, Chaymai is home. And uh, you maybe can't identify a little bit with what I'm talking about. But I think what I'm going to share this morning applies to all of us. Because I think all of us at times feel like giving up in our walk with the Lord. Can you identify with that? I think we get discouraged. I think things can go. Make the, we have difficult times and we can give up. You know, it is my hope this morning that you will feel encouraged To simply keep the faith and remain faithful to what God has called you to do. Now, God is not very shy about moving His people around the world. Have you noticed that? You know, He he kind of, He's not shy about moving people, His disciples, into places where He wants them to be at. God is at work all over the world. We know that. He's calling people to himself as worshipers and followers of, of Jesus. And he kind of invites all of us to join with him in this work. He kind of says, hey, come and, and I want to take you here. And, and I want you to do this job. And he's kind of, he's not very shy or scared to do that. He, he, he kind of has a way of disrupting our lives sometimes. Each one of you are very familiar with the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 19 and following. There go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. God has given the church a mission to accomplish, and each one of us needs to know what our part is in accomplishing that mission. I think it's very significant that, that Jesus concludes this a commandment with a statement That he says, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you. Wherever he calls us to do, wherever he calls us to go, it's a reminder that God will accompany us. He will support us and he will provide what we need. This promise is very important to remember if we are going to obey the Great Commission. The task is daunting. The conditions are often quite difficult. And we don't know what kind of circumstances we're going to find ourselves getting into. So we need to realize that we're never abandoned and we're never alone, that God has given us all the resources that we need. Now, all of this is kind of in in, um, prelude of the passage that I want us to get to, but I think it's important that we recognize when we talk about these passages that God's still with us. How many of you believe God is here this morning, right here in our midst? I am counting on it. I'm desperate for it, actually. I want to ask you two questions this morning, kind of address two questions. And I want to caution you, don't flippantly say yes to these questions. The first question is, is your faith and confidence in Jesus strong enough to endure anything? The second question, are you being faithful to the task God is calling you to do? Are, is your faith and confidence in Jesus strong enough to endure anything? And are you being faithful to the task God is calling you to do? Now, the reason I tell you don't do that, don't answer that flippantly is because of the passage I'm going to take us to. You see, if, if, an indication of are you really do have faith is how do you respond to the little circumstances that come up in your life right now? You know that's a pretty good indication of how you're going to do when something big happens. Is how you handle the little things. And sometimes I'm quite dismayed of how I respond to circumstances. I'm a little um, sheepish about the way that I cope sometimes. So we cannot be flippant about this. We have to look at it. So let's look at the passage that I want us to take us to. If you would take us in your take, go to your Bibles to Matthew 24. We're going to read a lot of this chapter and even look at the next chapter a little bit. But we're going to be pausing as we go as I really want us to get the points uh, as we go through here. Matthew 24. Some of you are saying, oh, no, I was afraid he was going to go there. Beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, I wonder how much time there was between when Jesus makes this proclamation and all this time these thoughts were stewing in the disciples' minds. What did he mean by that? What is that all about? And he kind of comes to a conclusion. I think they come to a conclusion. As he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We want to look at what's to come and understand the impact on us. Let's look at the setting of this chapter. The disciples were just in the temple. And they were leaving, and they were looking at the buildings and saying, hey, this is pretty nice. Look how nice these buildings are. And so they comment about it to Jesus. And what does Jesus do? says, hey, they're all going to be torn down. And this really kind of threw the disciples into kind of a, a unsettled state. Now, how many of you have ever heard that that God is a gentleman? That somehow he will never interfere with our lives in a way to make us feel uncomfortable? You know, I really disagree with that. I don't think God is very shy about coming and interrupting our lives. I don't think he's very shy at coming and, and bringing direction and correction and, and focus to us. I mean, look at some examples. You know, when, when Jonah didn't obey God, what happened? He, you know, he turned and ran. Well, God took him fishing, you know. Uh, we look at Paul or, or Saul on the way to Damascus, and he's going there to kill believers, followers of Jesus, what happened? Did God treat him like a gentleman? I don't think striking him down and making him blind and, uh, is exactly a, a gentlemanly thing to do, but God had a purpose. You know, I have a, I had a personal experience um, I was, after serving at uh, the church where I was uh, ministering to in a number of years, they were kind enough to give me a three-day or three-month sabbatical. Now, that's a cool thing. You know, three months to do whatever you want to do. So I took some time away, and I'm sitting there um, doing just the three days out of this three months, and I took some time to be by myself and to seek God. And as I'm minding my own business, saying, God, what do you want to say to me? He had the audacity to say that it's time to leave this position that I've been at for over 12 years, for about 12 years, and move overseas, um, and and I'm supposed to take my wife with me, which is something she wasn't very excited about happening. Um, That that was kind of a real shock to me because I wasn't prepared for it. I certainly wasn't asking for it, and I was quite comfortable where I was. We can get very comfortable in our perspectives And I think when God sees us get too uncomfortable, he kind of comes and stirs us up sometimes. And I think that's what was going on for the disciples. They were looking at this wonderful buildings and they were kind of all full of excitement about they were following the Messiah. They were convinced that Jesus was going to do something Pretty dramatic to overflow the, the Roman rule. And they were going to take over and just be important. And, and they were asking questions like, who do you think is most important? I am going to sit on his right side and I want to sit on his left side. And all these kinds of things were going on. And Jesus comes and says, you know, let me tell you what's really going to happen. I think the disciples went from feeling pretty confident and comfortable to feeling a lot of anxiety. Now, what was Jesus trying to prepare them for? You see, when Jesus comes and interrupts us in our lives, he wants us to take a different direction, a different perspective. And I think we want to take a look here at what the scripture says he was trying to prepare the disciples for. First of all, it sounds like the world's going to become a real mess you know, it sounds like the physical world is going to be in torment and upheaval. There's going to be conflicts and struggles between different ethnic groups, and there's famines and earthquakes bringing much hardship and loss. And if we, if we read the news today, we, we kind of get the idea that there doesn't seem to be a safe place anywhere, right? Right? Do you ever get that feeling? There's no, I mean, tourist attacks are on the rise. I mean, there's, there's bombing in Kunming, China going on, bombs in India, I read this morning, all kinds of terrorist attacks happening. Um, there doesn't seem to be a safe place anywhere. We all know what the last several years have been like with the incredible tsunami happened in Asia, earthquakes in China, Japan, the cyclone in Burma. You know, I actually read an article recently that people are getting really numb to disasters like this because they're almost on disaster overload and they can't comprehend what's going on. So they, it's better to, uh, it's somehow easier than I pretend like nothing's going on. We have anxieties about bird flu, mad cow disease, AIDS, and other kind of pandemic threats. Now, all these events have happened before in our history, but... I can't help but wonder if the accumulation of these events isn't a little bit about what God was talking about of the beginning of the end. Does it ever feel overwhelming to you about thinking about all these things? It does to me. And yet, this is one of the things that, God, that Jesus seemed to want to prepare his disciples for, and I think wants to prepare us for. But it gets worse than that. Somehow, these attacks get personal. For those of us that are following Jesus, we become this express targets. The church is going to come under tremendous assault. You know, if you read the Voice of the Martyrs, um, a little survey there, not a survey, but a little announcement of what's going on, you can see that there's all kinds of attacks happening on Christians all over the world. And I, you know, we didn't, we're not here this morning to look at all that, but you know, there's so much of the church that is just under experiencing tremendous hardship and tremendous difficulty. The conflict between Muslim and Christians are increasing, as we know. Radical Hinduism is growing rapidly. The clash between those who follow Jesus and those who don't will become more intense and will result in much discomfort. So much discomfort, the word says that some are going to lose their faith and quit following the Lord. Is that going to be you? Is it going to be me? Some of us are going to be killed. How does that feel for those of us that are in Asia? You know, the reality is in China, where I spend most of my time working... um, there, there's a, quite a crackdown going on in the, in the uh, lead-up to the Olympics on local believers and on foreign workers. It's pretty amazing. We have to be prepared. We have to be ready. If we're, we're going to be one of those people who remain faithful to the end. The third thing that God, that Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples is for false teaching. Is against false teaching. False teaching and deception will be rampant. Says counterfeit uh, claims of divinity, false prophets and teachers, and evil will predominate. Wickedness will abound all around, so much so that many people are deceived, and many who once loved God will not love Him anymore. We see the wickedness around us, and we quit, wondering where God is. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be me? You see why I don't want us to answer those questions flippantly? These are real things. This is something that's going to be very, very hard. How vulnerable are we to deception? He says, he who stands, the verse the chapter says, he who stands to the end will be saved. I've been a Christian for over 35 years. And one of the things that's growing in me more and more is that I really want to continue being a Christian. I want, to, I want to finish well. I don't want to be one that quits or gives up or lose my faith, gets sidetracked by the wickedness around, or get discouraged because of the difficulty of life. I want to finish well. I don't want to let my love grow cold. The question I'm asking myself and each one of us is what happens to our faith and trust in God when... We go through difficult times. How susceptible are we to be in one of the people who turn away from the faith, whose love grows cold? I think we need to ask ourselves those questions. As we go back to our scripture here, it says this interesting phase about the gospel being preached and then the end will come. What does this mean? You know, I, I... My father is really into biblical prophecy. And I often tell him he's looking at the wrong thing. Because especially when you have these guys on television and every day they've got to come up with a new prophecy. I really kind of struggle with that. And I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes. But the Bible makes it clear when the end has come. The end is going to come when the gospel is preached to all nations. Now what does that mean? That should be some encouragement because we get to join in that kind of activity. According to the Joshua Project, an organization whose mission it is to track unreached people groups, there are still 6,742 or I'm sorry, 47 people groups that have not heard the gospel. I'm sorry, that's not correct. 6,747 groups who have no viable church presence in their people group. Now we have to be a little careful about that because They might have heard the gospel and rejected it. We can't treat this like a checklist where you go down and say, okay, got that group, got that group. Okay, Jesus, you're going to come as soon as we get done. But what it does mean, I think, is that there's work to be done. There are people who have not heard the gospel. One of the stories, the the most heart-rending story I've ever heard was a friend of mine who was working in one of the stands somewhere. I forget what stand it was. Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan, I don't remember. But she had the opportunity to share the gospel with a young man. And this young man accepted the Lord, was so excited, and went back to his village and shared the gospel with his village, leading many people in his village to accept the Lord. And his, this young man's mother, when my friend was taken back to meet his mother, um, she, with tears running down her cheeks, said, Why did it take 2,000 years for this message to reach my village? How do you answer a question like that? We know that the gospel is to be preached to the whole world. We know that Jesus is very patient. Second Peter 3.8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, that, the Lord, that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We have this wonderful opportunity to keep busy sharing the gospel, and we know that God, that's so much on God's heart. The gospel is going to be preached to the whole nation. Every nation, and then the end will come. Let's go back to our passage in Matthew 24, verse 15. Give some very practical advice for survival. We're just going to read through this quickly. Verse 15, so when you're standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to get anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it's going to be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been, had not been cut short, no one will survive. But, the, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. One little comment here. I, I'm really glad for that statement. For the sake of the elect, the days will be shortened. It means that God knows what's, going, what's happening. He's keeping track. And he warns us ahead of time so we can be prepared. But um, it means he's paying attention. He's not blind to what's going on and what we're going through. He's with us all the time. Verse 23. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, and, or there he is, do not believe it. For face False Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that was possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. You know what? We don't have time to look in depth at all these scriptures. But by now, most of you are either scared or depressed. (laughs) I don't think any of us like to hear these realities. I don't think we we like to read this part of the Bible and think about how that may impact us. It makes us too uncomfortable, right? Anybody enjoying themselves this morning? Jesus knew that it would cause us anxiety and encourage us not to be alarmed. In spite of us being uncomfortable, I think Jesus wants us to be prepared so that we can be one of those people who stand firm to the very end. No matter what happens, no matter what we experience or go through, it is important that, that each one of us be so firmly rooted in our faith that we stand with the Lord, and that we continue to do what God calls us to do. Why? Why is it so important that we stand? The reason it's so important is what's happening next. There's a new, the reality is an event is going to take place that's never occurred before. Christ is going to return. Let's continue reading this because I think that too many of us, and I'm going to be honest with you, too many of us, myself included, do not live with the expectancy of Christ's return. We kind of think it's out there somewhere. I think we, the church in many, many aspects have lost the expectancy, expectancy of the return of Jesus. But here's what the Bible says, continuing on in verse 29. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of God coming in the clouds of the sky with power and with great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. As it is in the days of Noah, so would be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. <clears throat> that's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding on a hand mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into. And so you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you not expect him. Why did Jesus want to prepare the disciples for what's coming on? So that they will stand in their faith in preparation of these events. Now let's look at this a little bit, so that we don't just read these words and kind of pass it by. How many of you remember the tsunami that hit December 26th? uh, What year was that? 2004. How many of you remember that tsunami? Right. Over, what, 275,000 people were killed? How many of you think that that event shook the world? It really did. It was a big, major event, wasn't it? Um, And I... What I want to say now, I don't want it to come across as minimizing the loss and the destruction that that occurred. But how many of you witnessed that wave firsthand? One of you did? Okay. Pardon? Your family did? I thought maybe being here in Thailand, there would be somebody. How many of you uh, saw the destruction? Maybe you went down to help with the the construction. Okay. So you had an idea of that destructive force. But I would like everybody that had either first-hand or second-hand contact with that tsunami to stand up. Those of you that raised your hand, stand up. Okay. Now look around. What does this mean? This means that the majority of us only heard about it. We never saw it other than the newscast. We never experienced. We didn't see the wave. We only have second-hand, third-hand, fourth-hand knowledge of it. Right? Please sit down. So how impactful was it really to you? You see, my point is this. As awful as that event was, and as life... Or as much as it impacted the world, it's nothing compared to the return of Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus returns, everybody on this first hand is going to be impacted directly. First hand. I mean, it's, it's going to. There's no nobody's going to hear a report about it and wonder about it. It's going to affect them individually. It's going to happen to them personally. And it says, like, what does it say about the reaction of the world? Are they going to be all excited? I'm going to be excited. But you know what the world's response is going to be? Deep, incredible mourning. No! This cry of desperation, of anxiety, of regret, remorse, is going to fill the earth. Don't minimize that what are they going to be mourning? They're going to be mourning about the fact that they didn't accept Jesus. They're going to be mourning about the fact that they rejected the Lord. They're going to be mourning the fact that they followed a false religion. They're going to be mourning the fact that they gave up. That they turned away from God. Did not accept Him. They're going to be mourning the fact that they betrayed a loved one. It says earlier in the chapter that that people are gonna, you know, turn family members in. They're gonna be mourning about the fact that they they divorced their spouse and and abandoned their family. That they gave in to the wickedness that around them. They're gonna be mourning that they didn't have faith and continue following the Lord. They're gonna be mourning that they totally rejected God. And it's too late. To do anything to change it. It's final. It's over. The decision, their decision has been made. And there's absolutely no recourse to change it. It's final. I don't know what that does to you. But it, it, it rises something in deep of my belly in a sense. I don't want that to happen to anybody. How do we tell people how serious this is? Are we being faithful to God and what God calls us to do? They're going to be mourning because they came to the realization that they did not accept the message of Jesus. And it's too late. And there's nothing they can do to change anything. This is going to be such a colossal event. Think of the majesty and supremacy that will be demonstrated at the Lord's return. Every man, woman, child, in the whole world will experience this event firsthand. No one will escape the direct impact of this occurrence. His coming will be personal, body, invisible. They will be mourning that they had no expectation of this event. They will be going through their lives, as always, with no anticipation of Christ's return. But their ignorance and rejection does not change the reality that this event will occur. Jesus compared this as what happened in the flood. People were just kind of going on, pretending like nothing was going to ever be different. And one day, the end came. Think about the visual image we will all see. Revelation 19.11 And I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flaming fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The enemies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Think about the power, dominion, and authority. How does that image of Jesus affect you? It can produce fear or great rejoicing that justice is coming and all the injustice will be done away with. Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples because he knew what a colossal event this was going to be. We must be ready. Why do you think it's so important that we live with this expectation so that we are ready and that we remain faithful? So what are we to be doing? How does this impact us today? Okay, it's great to think about that happening out there somewhere, and yeah, we need to be prepared. But what does that mean for right now? What does that mean for what we're to be doing today? And if you look at this passage, what follows this description of God's return and of the earth mourning when they see Jesus coming are four stories. And we're not going to spend time, we don't have time to look at all four of these stories. But I think it's important to to kind of look at the theme of what these stories are. Let's just read about the first one in verse 45 to finish out this chapter. <clears throat> Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so When he returns, I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And then he begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there be weeping and gnashing of teeth that morning that they will experience. So what are we supposed to be doing? The first thing that we need to do is to be a faithful servant. What has God called you to do? What has he called you to do in his family, in your family? What's he called to do in your ministry? What's he called to do in reaching the world? What's he called you to do? That's different for each one of us. The importance is The important point that I'm trying to make is that we're going about doing that which he calls us to do. We have to know what that is, don't we? And then we have to be faithful. Not expecting anything other than we know that a time that it will come that we have to give an accounting for this. We need to be a faithful servant. Faithfully going about our duties. Not taking advantage of the fact that Jesus hasn't returned yet but faithfully doing the job that God calls us to do. So what does it mean to be a faithful servant? I think it may mean different things for different people. But for all of us, it means, first of all, that we are faithful to our families, that we are faithful to, uh, to serve God, that we resist the wickedness around us, that we cling to those things that feed us and that help us to grow and that we're doing the kinds of things that God calls us to do. Many times we can experience the stress of our work and just living and become anxious or overwhelmed, and we're not that much different than the disciples. They saw the temple and talked about security. Jesus responded by preparing them for the realities of hardships. I think we need the same kind of preparation. Do you ever feel like giving up? We want to remain faithful servants. We want to be mentally and spiritually prepared for what may come our way. We cannot be prepared unless we really have a vital relationship with the Lord. The first story is all about faithful obedience. The other stories are equally as important, and we don't have time to go into those today. But the the second story is about the, the ten virgins. And talks about how that we need to be living with this expectancy of the return of Christ. We need to be prepared for his coming. I once heard a sermon one time called, How's Your Oral Supply? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we living with this expectancy of Jesus' return and are we ready for him? The third story is about the parable of talents and how well we take what God gives us and invest them. And I think this speaks of obedience, or I'm sorry, speaks of just um, being a faithful, I've lost my place here. It talks about fruitfulness and productivity is what I was trying to get to. Are we taking what God has called us to do and doing a good job with it? Or are we just trying to get by? I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. The last one, the last story that's related to this Uh, Warning, this preparation that Jesus gives us is is all about the sheep and the goats and talks about accountability. I want to make one comment here, and that is I'm not talking about doing more. I think Mike's sermon last week about not living so close to the edge is a very appropriate message for us because many times I think people in an effort to... to, um, prove themselves or to kind of uh, justify their existence, you know, or to get an excitement, do something, we can live on that edge. But you know what happens when we live on that edge? We can fall off. And I think that many times the people that are um, more susceptible to maybe falling away are those people that are constantly living on the edge Not taking time to stand back and give them time to spend time with the Lord. Give them time to reflect and understand. Uh, They're not building a safety net around them such as the body of Christ. Not doing those things that kind of keep us healthy and strong. And so Mike's comments last week were very, very appropriate. I'm not talking about doing more. I'm talking about being obedient and being faithful. I want to be obedient to the Lord and to the work that God's called me to do. I want to be obedient and not have my love for Christ grow cold. And one of the things that burns in my heart as a pastor type of person is how can I help my brothers and sisters do that same thing? How can we encourage one another to remain faithful? How can we um, band together So that we keep our heart in the right place. Doing the right kinds of things. One of the verses that has really impacted me a lot is Luke 18 verse 8. And it says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and get quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I want him to find faith in me. I want him to find faith in each one of us. How do we do that? How do we build faith? What can we do? And I want to list for us in closing four things that I think we can do to stay faithful. The first is we have to maintain a personal and vital relationship with the Lord. I have this t-shirt that says Christianity is not a religion. And then on the back, it's all about relationships. And it really is. It's all about relationship with the Lord. It's not a set of beliefs. It's not about doing the right thing. It's about relating to the right person. And we have to do that. We have to stay connected with the Lord, regularly talking with Him. We have to really know the Bible so that we are not susceptible to deception. You know how people can tell whether there's a uh, a counterfeit bill or not? They spend so much time not looking at the counterfeit bills, But becoming so familiar with the real bill that anything that isn't like the real bill, it's so obvious. If we really understand what the Bible says, we're not going to be susceptible to the false teachings that can come our way. We have to know what it is. Regularly searching out the scripture. We need to be careful not to isolate ourselves from others who can encourage your faith. Now, I was careful how I put this. Because I think sometimes um, we organize churches to get together to meet, and that's great. What we're doing here this morning is so important. But we can come to the meetings and leave and have very little connection with each other, and it doesn't provide the kind of encouragement to be faithful. You can just go to church, go to a meeting, sit and listen and walk away. I think we need to be very connected with one another couple friends, people, brothers and sisters who can really encourage us in our walk with the Lord. Do you have brothers and sisters that know you well enough to know where you struggle in? I think that becomes really, really important. Brothers and sisters who know what we go through. And lastly, I think we need to focus on doing what God asked you to do. We need to be busy about the work. And I think sometimes... Um, particularly when you're li- living cross-culturally, it can be kind of hard to kind of want to keep out there. You know, I mean, some of you have been in Thailand for a long time. Thai doesn't intimidate you. I get in situations when they say something to me and I'm going, I feel like such a kid because I don't know what's going on. And that, that can get intimidating. It can keep us to pull back and not to be faithful to do what God calls us to do. We cannot allow those things to take place. Let me go back to my two questions. Is your faith in Jesus strong enough to endure anything? I hope so. And it won't be unless we do these four things. Are you doing what God calls you to do? One, you won't be unless you know what it is. And two, unless you really stay at it. I want to encourage us this morning Let's be ready for Christ's return. Let's be prepared. Let's take the lessons that Jesus was giving his disciples and giving to each one of us and be prepared. Can we do that before God? Let's pray. Father, I I just want to confess today um, that I'm hoping nobody stones me as I leave today. Because I know these words are not comfortable. They're not just really warm and fuzzy kinds of thoughts to think. But Lord, you want us to be prepared. And so God, I I pray that you will come and breathe life into the words that I've shared here today. In a way that each person will experience the reality of your presence. The reality of you wanting to speak to them personally. That you love them so much and you want to, you're here with us and want to help each one of us to be prepared and to be faithful and to have the kind of faith that will trust you no matter what takes place. And I pray that you will do that work for me and I pray that you will do that for each one of my brothers and sisters here. In Jesus' name.